Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talos Takes. I am joined by Craig Jackson from Talos Incident Response once again. Thanks for coming on, Craig. Hey, John. Thanks for having me again. Today, we're going to be talking about vendor account compromise. This is a topic that you recently wrote about for the Talos blog about how attackers are using vendor and contractor accounts, which we we shortened to VCAs, to carry out different types of attacks. Talos IR has specifically seen a rise in their use in the wild. So I think just to start us out, what do we mean when we say vendor and contractor accounts exactly? Like how, how do those usually present themselves inside enterprises? So we summarized VCAs as being kind of any account that's issued to a third-party workforce member. So it doesn't necessarily have to be IT, although in many cases it's going to be IT, information security, application developers, contracted employees that come in to handle a component of the IT infrastructure for an organization. But it can really be any third-party workforce member. It's not uncommon to outsource things like HR or finance, accounting. And if you hire someone to come in to perform these tasks on your behalf, chances are you're creating an account for them within your Active Directory environment. So it's a kind of a catch-all term. And I will say, you know, as you alluded to, VCA is not necessarily an industry term, nor were we trying to make it one. <laughs> we just we just got tired of typing, you know, vendor contractor right. count over and over <laughs> again. So we figured it'd be easier to read if it was just VCA. So how do it, how are attackers coming about stealing these credentials? Or, you know, alternatively, I would ask how like what makes them particularly more vulnerable than just your average employee account that you have to create for any new user who comes on board? I wouldn't say that they're necessarily any more vulnerable, except maybe they're not monitored as closely as other account types. So when you have an account that has elevated privileges or belongs to a a local admin or a domain admin, typically that's going to be an employee that is within the organization logging in every day, everyone knows who they are, that sort of thing. So there's some increased passive monitoring of that particular account. The VCA, on the other hand, vendor contractor accounts, maybe are not monitored closely because it's someone who is coming into the environment intermittently. They're not there every day. They might not be commonly known employees. You know, it's not someone that's that's within the employee population on a regular basis. So that might lead to perhaps lax monitoring or not closely, uh, they're not being as closely monitored. As far as how they're being compromised, really, you could go down the list, uh, the MITRE ATT&CK framework, credential access tactic, you could pretty much go down the list of those techniques. It's the same type of compromise that we're seeing with any other user account, phishing, social engineering, credential dumping, purchasing credentials from a dark web marketplace. Anything like that that you would see associated with normal account compromise, we would likely see that with VCAs as well. And then what are attackers doing with these credentials once they obtain them in in some way, shape, or form? In some cases, we're seeing them used for initial access. That is not always the case. Uh, In situations where credentials are purchased from a dark web market, or if a brute force password attack is successful, any type of you know credential guessing 
Maybe the adversary is able to use them for initial access. In other cases, we're seeing them used more for privilege escalation and lateral movement through the environment. So think domain admin level privileges. But again, going back to what I said before, these are accounts that aren't used as frequently. In some cases, customers are saying, we're not really sure if that's, you know, they're seeing activity related to a VCA and they say, we're not really sure if that's considered normal activity for that account or not. We don't know what that vendor contractor is using that account for. So we're not sure if that's considered part of our network baseline or if it's considered anomalous. I'll give you one example of of something that we've seen a little bit more recently as well. That's where vendor contractor accounts that have domain admin level privileges or at least some other type of elevated privilege on a domain controller, adversaries are modifying the default domain GPO to push ransomware from the DC. We see the compromise of the, the VCA. We see the adversary enumerate, perhaps pivot through the environment, eventually reach the DC, and then use the legitimate default domain policy to begin pushing that ransomware out, you know, another kind of living off the land technique. This kind of all fits into the broader field of supply chain attacks, which is something that you and Nick alluded to in your blog post. And they're like a lot of big name supply chain attacks that have kind of made headlines recently, think like 3CX or solar winds from several years ago. So how do these types of attacks or infiltrations with vendor accounts differ from kind of like a supply chain attack that a lot of folks might have read about recently in the headlines? And in what ways are they similar to, you know, these major ones? Like, do you feel like this type of threat really is not getting as much attention as it should? Prominent supply chain attacks that we see are usually software-based attacks. So you you mentioned the 3CX, you mentioned SolarWinds. Both of those were software-based attacks where the adversary is able to embed malicious code in a known and trusted application and then propagate influence through that, that embedded malicious code. In the case of vendor contractor accounts, in the case of compromised accounts, we're talking more about the compromise of legitimate trusted credentials instead of legitimate trusted software. Again, it's the human factor versus the technical factor there. There are some similarities in the respect that naturally, if the credentials are compromised externally through, again, brute force credential attacks, through purchase on the dark web, and then used to gain that initial access, that's going to bear more of the hallmarks of a traditional supply chain compromise. When we hear customers say things to us like, wow, that is that is a vendor account, that's an external vendor account, and I know for a fact that account is used at other organizations as well, that is that true supply chain compromise feel. When we see the, the credentials compromised internally through something like credential dumping or some other type of privilege escalation where those credentials are captured, that's going to be less of the supply chain type of attack. That's just more of your traditional internal credential grab as part of the adversary's kill chain. So we see more of a focus on these large-scale software supply chain attacks naturally because they have such they can have such a tremendous impact on the community. So many other victims can be included when there is a software type supply chain attack that is pervasive in the industry. With the compromised vendor credentials, impact can still be substantial, 
but maybe not necessarily to quite the scope or volume of victims that we see otherwise. So they don't get quite as much attention. They are still a serious concern, though, and they can be used to pivot between organizations when the vendor account is used within multiple customers. So what kind of advice can we offer folks in terms of best protecting these accounts and you know making sure that if one account is compromised, that it doesn't lead to any super serious consequences. Like you mentioned, there's a whole laundry list of ways in which attackers can come into these credentials. So there's kind of like a whole web of potential avenues that you have to defend against and address. Exactly. Yeah. Nick and I called out, I think, five or six different strategies in the blog. And really, none of them are groundbreaking. It's just friendly reminders to, to get back to basics with account management and privileged account security. One of the ways that I've seen organizations who have a secure maturity program handle vendor contractor accounts is simply to disable them when they're not in use. There's some administrative overhead with that, obviously having to just remember to disable them and then re-enable them when the, the vendor or contractor comes back on site or needs to use the account. But just disabling it and making sure it can't be used without any type of other compromise internally, you know, other access that the adversary may already have is a great way to protect those accounts. And then following other practices like principle of least privilege for the account, make sure it can only get to systems that it absolutely needs to access is another great way. The metaphor that we made in the blog was if you had someone coming on site physically, a vendor or contractor coming on site, you're not just going to let them wander through your facilities, appearing in windows and and jiggling doorknobs, that sort of thing. You're going to make sure they go exactly where they need to go, and then they're going to leave the same way that they came. So similarly with the VCAs, you want to make sure that access and that least privilege is maintained. And then just staying vigilant about monitoring privileged accounts. This applies not only for VCAs, but really you should be doing this for all of your privileged accounts, making sure that you understand what they're doing, that they can be monitored, that anomalous activity is being flagged and administrators are being notified for further investigation. Like I said, these aren't aren't anything new. This is stuff that we've been talking about for years and it applies here even more so. Is there anything else about this particular topic that I I missed or haven't covered yet? Obviously, I'll link to the blog in the show notes too for folks who do want to learn more. But any other major points that I missed? One call to action that we made towards the end of the blog was for anyone who is a vendor or a contractor, if you have a vendor contractor account with a customer or with another entity or organization, be proactive about raising these concerns and discussing it with your customer. Don't wait for something to happen. Don't assume that they've got it under control and that it's being handled. Be proactive and bring it up. Discuss the security around your account and help them understand the potential risks that are posed by leaving those accounts active when they're not being used and not monitoring them and providing other types of security controls around those accounts. Awesome. Well, thank you as always for your time, Craig. Uh, I appreciate it. And hopefully this is, uh, you know, like you said, this is advice that's kind of been longstanding, but hopefully it serves as a good reminder to folks about some of the different threats that we're actively seeing in the field still. So I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, John. 